the theme, Too Fast for Your Purpose. We have been in a study, and I've been talking about what you can do in life that can put you in a place where you're going too fast. That is a question in life. Am I going too slow? Am I going too fast? What's the right speed? Moses is our study today. He's our case study today. And Moses is someone who, because of his pride and temperament, had these blind spots. And the blind spots were hard for him to manage. He just seemed not to be able to keep them in the right place. He would get lost. What I, I describe it this way, this was the piece that kept showing up in the wrong place in his life. He was a guy who one minute was fine, and then because of something said to him, he changed. And he changed and put himself in a position where eventually he got close to the promised land. I call it almost to the promised land, but he just couldn't finish well. He's like a guy who works for 19 years, 364 days, but does not retire. He is one day short. And it's all because of a temperament issue. It's all about perspective. It's all about how you see it. I am so convinced that's true. I am, in this job, always tempted to see it wrong every day. I measure myself if I'm not careful by the wrong measurements, and I think pastors have to do that. I have to learn not to do that. Leaders have to learn not to do that. Husbands, wives, everybody. I used to measure myself by how many people came in the building. It's just, well, now technology has changed that because hundreds are home watching. 60% of the money comes outside of the building, so you can't measure yourself by that. They were talking about Rockfest a moment ago. Do you know how many people they figure come to that thing? About 2,500. Amazing. Between Friday and Saturday, it's amazing. And the same thing for Fall Festival. Ladies Only is knocking on 1,000 people for the conference. We used to be 1,500 or two. I mean, it was larger sometimes, but we, we intentionally moved it to Hilton Head Island to give it a more intimate feel. There was a time when our approach to media was very different than it is now. We have a brand new uh, television and media outreach plans coming up in the fall that are amazing. But it's different. It's, 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 it's different. It's vignettes spread throughout the day. You'll be able to see us at different times of the day. It's amazing. It's a wonderful process. We're working, we're practicing now, as a matter of fact. But all the things that we're doing, uh, missions, local missions in schools, adopting schools, and going overseas in a couple of weeks, sending a team over to do medical missions, teaming up with about 30 other people to go do missions. And these people are from all over the country, and they're meeting up in Washington, D.C. with our team, and they're all flying over with your, with your $15,000 worth of medical supplies. That's almost a happy hand clap. Come on, amen, come on. Your money's in there. Your investment in there. I think the budget's over 30,000, 30,000 some change. The people who are going have invested their own money. It's not just our church money. They invested their money 
and going. And there's a whole lot more coming next year for youth. And, and I, I, want, I want people to feel that we are actually doing what Jesus said, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's, it's, it's all about seeing what you're supposed to be doing and doing it. Not just talking about it. Not just saying, hey, we, we're church. So what? Who cares? And the generation coming really doesn't care. If you can't demonstrate, I'm going to challenge you to give. I'm going to challenge you to tithe. I'm going to challenge you to honor God. I am. I'm going to knock on your door. Trust me. I'll be nice. I'll be smiling. But I am determined that success is intentional. That if you want something in life, you must say what it is and you must go after it and say the date you're going. I can't just talk about it. I must make sure that I'm engaged. And so when I look at people like Moses, I can relate to him because he, like me, is trying to figure out how fast to go, where to go, what to do. But what's interesting is while we're doing what we should be doing, sometimes there are these habits, attitudes that we have that hinder us. It gets in the way. The way you reacted has nothing to do with where you're trying to go. And you're going to see this in Moses' life. Now, I'm going to start in a unique place. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26, it's the most unlikely conversation you would ever expect Moses to have with his credentials. Now, this is the guy who led them out of Egypt. This is the guy who had incredible success. This is the guy, the Bible says, the humblest man on the earth. I mean, this is the guy who really did it, a lot of things right. He had a challenging past. He's also the same guy who killed somebody when he was 40 years old, thinking he was getting ready to start a revolution, and he was wrong. He was 40 years too early, and he was using a method that God did not want him to use. God's plan was not to use him as a revolutionary to go and take over Egypt. And so when we see Moses again in the Bible, he's 80 years old in the book of Exodus. He's 40 years wiser. Now he's a lot more humble, broken in spirit. But he still has issues. And one issue that stayed with him all of his life was his temperament. He could never get a handle on that. And what I think happened is he would get angry and go too fast. He'd get angry and he would lose track of his speed and he would zoom into something or zoom into a person way too fast. And so the title of the day's message, if you just want to track with me, repeat it with me, please. Say, what you miss, what you miss? If, you if you go too fast. There are three things that Moses missed. Three things. And I want to come back and recount them, but here they are so you'll know. Number one, you can miss your promised land. If you are the kind of person who tends to do this, you will miss your promised land. You will miss God's blessing for your life solely because you go too fast. Number two, now you miss your promised land, you will miss your chance to be a part of God's master plan. God has a master plan. And if you're not careful, you're, you, you'll speed right past it. You'll miss the moment. In Exodus 17, I'll show you 
a master plan that God had in mind that Moses did not know about. And generally that's the case. When I came to this church, God's master plan was for me to come to Savannah. As a matter of fact, if you go further back, his plan was amazing. I was born in uh, Savannah. Uh, my mother came here to have me as a single parent in shame. Amazing, isn't it? Then I was raised in Los Angeles, and God's master plan all along was to move me back to the place of my birth. For me to pastor a church, something I thought was for old people. I had no, I, I, this is him, I'm, I'm talking about my third year of Bible college. I love the Bible, I love theology, I love, I, I love that more than even teaching. I really did. I've I never been a, I don't mind teaching, but I like the work more than I do this. This is fine. I don't mind doing this, but, and that, I hope that shows. I love the work. I love the, the, the stuff I learn. And it makes it fun to share. But God, God's master plan all along was to bring me back here to pastor a church. And it's, in Bible college, we learned this thing called praying for the nations. We had, you know, in Bible college, you have different kinds of classes because my major was theology. So my class would be Romans, Ephesians, Acts, New Testament, Old Testament, Greek, Hebrew, all the things that would help me become a student of theology of the Bible. And one of the classes we had was missions. And in a missions class, we, we had assignments where you had to pray for the nations. And you pick a city, a place, and you pray for it. Well, because I had come back here, and this is all part of God's master plan, God brought me back in, our, in my probably around 15 years old. We lived in L.A. all my life, 15, we moved back. And, you know, it's that, call, that move home thing, let's all go home, E.T., go home. And then you come home and you say, I'm, I'm leaving again. Home is not what I thought. But the reason we came home for, I came home for about 18 months. And some of you even saw me in high school and see me in books and don't realize that I left. I went back to L.A. and graduated from high school. But part of what was interesting was that was God saying, I need you to taste this again. I need you to come taste this. That's part of my master plan. Because when I came and tasted it when I was 15, 16, really 16, 17 up in those days, then when I went to college and took this missions class, they taught me to pray for a city. And guess what city I pray for? Savannah. And here's the prayer I pray. You had to, you had to write your prayers out. You had to keep a prayer log. And on the prayer log, I'd say, Lord, bless and send revival to Savannah. Raise up leaders. I had no idea that part of his master plan was I'm going to send you back to Savannah. So I, I started preaching when I was in L.A. and I called back and told some friends that I was preaching and they invited me to speak. And before you know it, I had several offers in this area and I was invited to speak. I thought, wow, this is great. So I came and I spoke. And before you know it, one thing led to another. I was coming back every year. And that's all part of God's master plan. Because when I came back on one of those trips around 21-ish, junior year in college, a guy asked me, would I consider coming to do his Bible study 
and I went to meet him, and he was not at his house. He was supposed to be at his house to meet with me to talk about me speaking for him. And he was at some Bible study at 3111 College Street called Overcoming Faith, speaking for them at 4 o'clock on a Sunday evening. And so my friend said, hey, he's in Thunderbolt. I know where that is. I can drive you out there, Temple, to meet the guy's name was James Secrets, I think his name. And I remember going out there, and I walked in the door to this place, this house, and there was a beautiful, glowing angel standing up speaking. <laughs> Diane was the first person I heard talk in this church, and it was for 40 people in the Bible study. And I walked in and I sat down and first service there, first time, the guy James who was speaking, he spoke and when he finished, he stood everybody up and he said, I have a confession I want to make. They were Word of Faith people, big faith, you know, Kenneth K. Hogan, Hagen, Copeland, big Word of Faith people. Couldn't say anything negative around them. They shut you down. And he, stood, he said these words. He said, I see buildings. And they said, amen. I see thousands of people. And they all said, amen. And I said, I see a house. <laughs> That's what I said. Right? I said. Man, these people are amazing. Mr. Theologian, you know, I'm real deep. But God said, I have a master plan that you can't see. I have land that you can't see. I have souls I want to save that you can't see. And 30,000 souls later, God is still moving. Come on, save man. <laughs> Amazing. But you can miss <clears throat> your chance like Moses did to be a part of a master plan. It goes far beyond what you can see. So number one, you can miss your promised land. Number two, you can miss your chance to be a part of God's master plan. And then number three, you can miss your chance to be a good example. And you'll see how that all fits in just a moment. Go back with me, if you would, please. Let me read Deuteronomy 3, 26. And I want you to see this with me. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26. This is an incredible, simple statement, but it's profound. Moses is talking to the second generation of Israel, these are the children of the people who lived. These are the people, Moses, remember when Moses uh, made, um, uh, <laughs> when Moses sinned, uh, when the people of Israel sinned, God told them, he said, listen, you guys have, everybody that's beyond 19 and below will live and go into the promised land, everybody 20 and above will not. Well, these are the 20, these are the 19 and below people. They've watched for 40 years their parents die they watched every uncle die. They watched everybody that was above 20 die. And so now Moses sits them down and says, let me give you a recounting of the history. And he comes to this part of his history review with them. This, and and he, he says, God was angry with me. The Lord was angry with me. On account of who? You. On your account. And would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. 
You might ask, what is that about? Well, you see, everybody had been given an opportunity, including Moses, to enter the promised land. Moses got angry with the people, and I'll show you the story in a minute. He got angry with them one day, smote a rock, and because of his temper tantrum, God told him, you cannot enter the promised land. Moses goes back to God, asks for forgiveness, and this is the response he got. Don't tell me that. Don't ask me that again. Now, that's shocking because you would think, well, come on, just give him another chance. He used to always bother me. Well, why would God be so hard? You'll see why in a minute. Here's what God told him in verse 27 of Deuteronomy chapter 3. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, the east. Behold it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before his people and he shall cause them to inherit the land. Joshua's going to lead. You're not leading. Now, this is one of those moments where you learn three profound lessons. Number one, you can miss God's approval. You can come to a point where God says, I no longer approve you. Even if you're Moses, I want you to think about this. There's no exceptions. You can also miss God's support. God said, I'm not supporting you anymore. He basically ignores him and says, don't ask me this again. I'm not letting you in. Number three, you can miss God's invitation. You can become uninvited. God will deny certain families access to certain opportunities. I want you to hear me say that. He'll deny our church. If we make as a church, a group, a decision, if I decide that, the, that I, we don't have this, I'm, not making, I'm, not, I'm just making a point. All the deacons sleeping around with everybody. The pastor got four or five girlfriends. We as a group make that decision. If we as a group decide to be dishonest, I mentor churches. I engage them about issues, and I am amazed. As a group, it's not just a single decision. The group decides to compromise. The group decides to not be consistent. And in families, it's like that. Some families, they're criminal families. They all steal. They teach you how to steal. They, they have classes. Stealing 101. Cousins teach you. They teach you about pornography. A lot of that stuff you learn in, in families is passed down. So what happens is when a family makes a decision, that family puts itself in a unique place. I, I'm, I'm amazed. In, in Diane's family, there's this tre tremendous tendency. Everybody in that family thinks they're supposed to go to college. It's like a rite of passage. So it's like they're all going to beat you down if you say you're not going. So it's just, it, you know, it, and just, I mean, I, I think your grandfather was a school teacher. It's like way back. I'm thinking, well, you're teaching school in slavery too. I mean, these people, they had a history of valuing education. And it's in the bones of their family. In the bones. Now, that wasn't in my family. Love my family, but that wasn't on my side. Just keep going. High school was like, all right. 
Never with I, I, the fact that I get to do what I do is amazing. But but I, I noticed I knew right. I knew when we got married, when we sat at the table to do homework for the first time, I knew I was in another league. I looked at Ricky. I said, I'm praying for you. <laughs> she looked like, oh, no, this will not happen here, sir. School teacher came on quick. And, and there's something there's something that you can't you can't fake that. And so there's there's this place you get as a family because of your approach. And there's a place you will not get. I wonder if your family has not made a decision as a group. Go to the family reunion and just look at them. And ask yourself, what decision did they make? Just think about it. That scares some of you. But I want you to understand, Moses made a decision that this one area of his life was not going to be tamed. That he was going to, when, whenever he felt like it, let loose. And this is a guy, catch this now, who's somewhere near 120 years old now. You can divide Moses' life into three parts, 40, the first 40 years in Egypt, the second 40 years in Midian, and then the last 40 years, 120 years. He's near death. He's coming close to 120 years old, and he's got the same issue. And in Deuteronomy 3, God looks at him and says, we're not talking about this again. You've had 120 years to decide. I, I see this all the time. I, I see it when I counsel married couples. I see it. Yeah, 20 years. 15 years. That's what I'm telling myself. Watch it. You know, I pray about my questions for the year. I, my, my question this year is, what is your purpose? Why are you here? I'm praying about my new question for next year. Are you consistent? That's what I'm praying about. We'll see. Because I'm really beginning to wonder, is that, is that the big thing that just keeps plaguing you? 120 years, Moses, I've given you a chance. And so now, here you are asking me one more time. Here's the bottom line. Don't ask me again. Strong words. Strong words. Boy, what can cause you to not be approved, lose support, be uninvited? What can cause all that? Well, let me show you Exodus chapter 17. Two stories. Two instances that you don't want to miss. Ready? Two stories you don't want to miss. All the congregation of Israel, children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. That's a problem. They're in the promised land. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, but they have a problem. Now, let's be clear. That's the way it works. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Marry the right guy. 
save your money, be faithful. There'll be moments when you feel thirsty. Doesn't matter. Our church can do everything right and there will be thirsty moments. There are just moments like that. That's part of working on any job. Any promised land has moments like this. But watch verse 2. The people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? Verse 3, the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? Say that with me, please. Come on. Let's change it, right? Say, what should I do with these children? Come on. Have you heard that before? They're almost ready to stone me because you told them to come in at 12 midnight, right? They're almost ready to stone you because you told the staff that works for you to come on time. That's all you said was, can you come on time? We started at 7. Can you be here? <laughs> I mean, you, Moses is confused. Guys, listen, hey, listen. Uh, yeah, it's busy because we were business and there's supposed to be a lot of customers. And so apply this to your life and notice the confusion in Moses' mind. He says, okay, you want to stone me? You want to stone me because the house is hard to keep clean because we got all these people and kids. You want to stone me because it's not easy. The car broke down. You want to stone me because your car ran out of gas. You want to stone me. You want to. I'm, look, this is part of the promised land. Come on. Can, you, can we say that? Come on. This is part of living in the promised land. We have a beautiful home. My wife wanted to move out this place. We live off the marsh. And so these flies. These big fat flies that are called, what are they called? Some flies, yeah, right, right. No, what are the names of those big horse flies? Woo, Lord, they can hit you upside your head. Beautiful place, but you don't want to go outside sometimes, especially during the hatching season. They come get you. I'm riding my bike. They ride me right back in the garage. I'm telling you. <laughs> they, come at, they come after you. It's part of the promised land. Part of, part of what you sometimes we look in the backyard and see wild animals. Oh, can't go back there today. That's part. So every time you get something nice that you pray for, it's not always easy. So, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, verse 5, this is what I want you to do. Go before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand your rod with you. With, with the one that you, you, you struck the river. Remember the big rod he had when he opened the Red Sea? So, you know, when they saw that coming, they said, oh, he got the rod again. Verse 6, behold, I will stand. Read this with me, please. Come on. Be behold, I will do what? Stand before you there on the rock. Where will God be standing? One more time. Where will God be standing? And here's what I want you to do. While I'm standing on that rock, you shall do what? Strike the rock. 
Water will come out of it. The people may drink. Now, what did he tell him to do that time? He said, do what? Strike the rock. He didn't say speak to it. This time, I want you to strike the rock. Moses did so in the sight of the Lord, of the, to the elders of Israel. And, and, of course, the water came out, and it's happy. Blaze, praise God. He did it right. That's called what I call fast enough. Can you say that with me? Come on. He went at the right speed. And you've had those moments. You had a challenge. You had a problem. You responded properly. Things worked out well. Well, but notice in Numbers 20, he's now going to go too fast. And he's going to miss an opportunity. He's going to set himself up to miss the chance to model something that God wants modeled. See, God's master plan is at work, but he doesn't know it. God wants now to show them grace, patience. He wants to show them that God is a God of mercy. He understands the journey they're on. These were people in a new place. They were confused. They were afraid. And God knew, listen to this, that they would fail again. He knew that they would not just need one conversation. I don't know why parents think you, you get one conversation. You don't get to tell them one time. You get to tell them at least 50 times. What time do I need you to be here? I need you to pick up your room. I need you to clean up. I need you to please put gas in the car when you drive it. I need you to please drive at the speed limit. I need you just over and over and over again. Kind of like God talking to you. Can we say amen? Don't get quiet. Come on, say amen. How many times has God talked to you about stuff? How many times? How many sermons have you heard? How many conversations? How many gospel songs have you sung? This for a minute. So please notice, God already knows that they're going to act up again. So in, in Numbers chapter 20, after they have refused to go to Kadesh Barnea, after they've refused to go to the promised land, after they were told that they're not going to go in the promised land, 20 and above, they act up again. And so in Numbers chapter 20, Verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses again when they complained about water. And he says, and I want you to do this, Numbers 20, verse 7. Take the rod with you. Take your brother Aaron and the congregation together. And I want you this time not to smite the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. What did he tell them to do? Speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield us water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the, and the animals. Now, that's all I want you to do. Now, now please understand, this is a problem for Moses because, see, some of us are like him. We don't do things two ways. There's one me. You get the same me every day. I don't change. If you do this today, I'm going to act this way. And if you do it tomorrow, I'm going to act this way. Moses like the striking of the rock. To him, that's his personality. Oh, you want me to hit the rock? Oh, I can do that. No problem. Because that fits, that gets it out, that lets him get his rage out, that lets him know that, you know what I'm saying, I don't play it, I'm telling you right now. You know, there you go, you got your water, but remember, I hit the rock. The speaking to the rock thing, he don't do that too well. Letting stuff go, getting quiet, 
He's not like that. He's one of those people, let me say one thing before I do this kind of people. That's what he is. He's one of those kind of individuals who has to say something. So watch what happens. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. That's good. Here's the problem. He says something to them. He wasn't supposed to talk to them. Let me give you a clue. Look at the preacher. Some people you shouldn't talk to. Sometimes you should just go, hmm. Every now and then when your children say something, there are moments you should say, hmm. And they say, what you doing? Hmm. Sign language. That's all I'm going to say, sign language. I can't say anything. I can't comment. Sometimes on the job, people say things to you. You go try it tomorrow. Tell me, go, hmm. Because nothing good's coming out. Nothing good. This is all going to be bad. And he told him, don't. See, God knew him. God said, now listen, this is a tough one. Just talk to the rock, not the people. You're good with the rock, but you're not good with the people. Even though you're 124 years old almost, you still have a problem with people. So I want you to just walk in here and pass the people, go right to the rock. They're going to think you're crazy. He's talking to the rock. Yeah, he's talking to the rock. That's not like him. Normally, he said a few words. And so they were braced. And he didn't deny them. He, didn't, he, he, he delivered. He started off talking about, I didn't want to say your mama, but that's not what he said. He said, you rebels. Here now, you rebels. Name calling. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Must we come back to this rock again? His face is all cringled up and he's mad, he's mad as fire. Because they talk about killing me after all I did, dragging you all the way out of Egypt. I'm tired of you. I'm the one who brought you in the world. I'm the, you know your mama's get right, right? I'm the one who paid the bills. I'm the man working in this house. And I will not have you telling me what you want. You, you been there? So, so Moses starts to tell them off. And then he doesn't stop there. He puts on a show, a kung fu show. Moses lifted up his hand high and struck the rock, not once, two times. And, in the, and, and you know, you just sit there and, you know, everybody's stunned and, and the water came out and, and it worked. But verse 12, read this with me, please. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. We like this. Come on. Say, then the Lord, then the Lord spoke, spoke to Moses. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do what I say. Now, I want you to follow the preacher. Ready? What is your name? No, I like you don't know your name. Come on. What's your name? Now, let's read this again. Say, then the Lord spoke to who? Uh-huh. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. Then the Lord spoke to and said, Here's what he said. Because you did not believe me. That's the first problem I have with you. And you did not hollow or make me sacred in the eyes of the children of Israel. You shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. 
you went too fast. You went too far. Moses now missed his chance to make God look good. So here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the bigger message, if I can paint this for you. God wanted to model grace. God wanted to model patience. God did not want to model legalism. First Corinthians chapter 10, I put it in bold print for you, says that the rock that Moses struck was a picture of Christ. If you look in bold print, I've got it for you. Noted there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. That rock was Christ. The rock that followed them was a picture of Christ. Remember, he said, I'm going to stand on this rock. First rock I want you to smite, the cross. Whipped for our sins. The second rock is still me. But this time, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is come and ask me. That's the master plan, but Moses is messing up the plan. We're still doing that today. Making God look bad. On our jobs and our work. When we're supposed to be modeling grace and patience, instead we're preaching legalism. If we're not careful, we're rolling it into political legalism now. It's rolling into political legalism. It's becoming somehow religious. We've, we've, we've politicized and religious, religiousized our political views. It's amazing. It's amazing. Saying God. I mean, I, I, this, is, this is amazing. I, I'm seeing religious leaders telling people, if you, if you don't vote for this person, you're going to hell. God's going to judge him, thinking, gee whiz. See, Moses' problem was he stepped across the line. And he became this person who felt that he was somehow above it all. But the Bible said every haughty spirit is brought low. And so here's this mighty man of God, one of the most incredible leaders who had this one issue that led him down a path that was far from God's plan. And here are the signs that he was going too fast. You ready? Number one, say he lost his temper. Come on. He overreacted. He didn't believe. He ignored what was sacred. If, you, if you're not careful your temperament, if you're not careful your overreactions, must you go that far? If you want to look at yourself and say, am I, am, I, am, I, am I in this marriage speeding toward divorce because I'm angry? You're angry and you're, you're now overreacting to a problem. You're now at a place where you no longer believe God can. That God's way was, is not better than your way. That God somehow should just kind of be ignored. Here's what he told Moses. No, listen. Your job was to make me look good in front of people. You're a leader. People ask me, do you ever get angry, Pastor Rick? I absolutely do. 
I am, I am like you, a normal person. But here's what I tell myself. Remember Moses. Whenever we have a very difficult person who calls here and they get all upset and they want to, I want to say Pastor Rick right now, and I mean it right now, I'm and they go, what's your name? I don't even know you. And they said, listen, listen, hey, calm down. Let's remember Moses. What can we do to help you? Do our best. Sometimes we good, sometimes we, you know, we do our best. But I don't want us to allow ourselves to miss something and go too fast and tell somebody off and blow somebody off and act in a way that's, un, that's unbecoming to what I believe and embarrass myself and embarrass my God. So I hope I've given you an incentive to step back today and think about what you can miss if you go too fast. Some of you are in a path right on a path right now and you're angry. Here's what I want you to do. Step back. I want you to take a step back and I want you to just for a moment, I want you to pray with me. Father God, in Jesus name, let the hearts of your people be healed. Let them be delivered. Let them feel your grace. I am not here just for me. I am here to represent you. Moses' temper never helped him. I believe we should be passionate about things. I believe we should be strong and courageous. Sometimes I believe we should fight. Stand up for what's right. But carrying all this anger and all this frustration, it's time to let all that go. Father, I, I speak healing. Lift those hands up high. Lift those hands. We lift our hands and surrender it to you. All this, this, this these negative conversations, all this venomous historical review stuff where everybody I meet, I tell them the vilest thing about my ex-husband or wife or friend that I can think of. Look at me, let me tell you a quick story. Put your hands down there. I had a friend whose, whose wife got pregnant out of wedlock. He was a minister. And uh, she did a lot of things. And he, he said to me, I'm never going to tell anybody that. People think what they want to think about me. He said, but those are, that's the mother to my children. And I will die with that information. But I will never. I, was, I so admired him for that. The horrible things would happen to him. Lies told. And he said, but I will never 
Some of you spew too much. You say what you don't have to say. It doesn't help the people you're telling it to. It doesn't heal them. My mother had this really unique way. She said, um, might as well be honest. She's gone on now, but she's what she told me. Ricky, I wouldn't come back to Georgia for no reason. But my grandchildren, I love you. That is the only reason. I have nothing but bad memories. But I'm not putting them in your mind. I refused. She, she refused. She absolutely refused to fill me up with who did what to her and what somebody didn't do. She told me a story or two. And I mean, literally, I can count them on one hand. She'd warn me, said, now you watch this. And you remember this. She said, things like this. Nobody's going to take care of you, son. You understand that? Yes, ma'am. You got to learn how to come in this house, open this door, and don't you cut the stove on. But I'm going to show you how to, how, to, how, to, how to take care of yourself. You hear me? Yes, ma'am. Where are you going to be when I get home? In the house. Yes, ma'am. Are you going to lie to me? No, sir. Because if you lie, you're what? I steal. so glad my mind is not full. Some of you need to stop it. You spew poison all over your family. Put it under the blood. Put it all under the blood. Everything that happened to you, everybody who wronged you, put it under the blood. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We leave today with courage and confidence. Touch hearts, touch minds. If there's anybody here that doesn't know your Savior, let them come today to know your Savior. Let them say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to know your Savior. If that's you, you're saying, Pastor, that's me. I, I never gave Jesus my life, but I want that prayer to be my prayer. Raise your hand. Say, that's my prayer. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I, I'm not giving him my life. I want, I want this day to be my day of independence spiritually. I pray for those whose hearts are raised and whose hands are raised. We pray for those who are watching and who's, who are responding by saying yes. And now, God, we give you praise and glory. As we leave this service, we thank you for the, what's been said and for the healing of the hearts. We also bless this offering that will receive, be received. What's given today will be used for the upbuilding of your kingdom as we touch lives. And we honor you in our tithes and offerings in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Go ahead, prepare your tithes and offerings. My time is so, so fast gone. I need you, if you 